Friday, July the 16th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Merkel on pipeline and floods, and the WHO urges China to cooperate. First, the world in brief. During what was probably her last visit to the White House as Germany's Chancellor, Angela Merkel and Joe Biden announced no new compromise over the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Germany vigorously supports the controversial pipeline, which would bring natural gas from Russia to the German coast, but America argues it would hand even more power to Vladimir Putin, Russia's autocratic president. Mrs Merkel promised, quote, all the power of the state to help people affected by severe floods. As many as 70 people are thought to have died in Germany and Belgium, more than a thousand are still missing. Heavy rain inundated Belgium, northwestern Germany and the Netherlands, causing flash floods yesterday that caught both residents and officials by surprise. Saad Hariri, the Prime Minister-designate of Lebanon, resigned, citing disagreements with the President. Following the resignation of his predecessor after the Beirut port explosion last year, Mr Hariri was given the task of forming a new government. It will be almost impossible to do so before parliamentary elections next year. The Lebanese pound hit an all-time low, having already lost 90% of its value since late 2019. The World Health Organization warned that its investigation into the origins of COVID-19 will be hampered without more cooperation and raw data from China. The first phase ended in February, a second is being discussed. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, the head of the WHO, told reporters that, quote, we owe it to the millions who suffered and the millions who died to know what happened. Intel, already America's biggest chipmaker, is weighing the acquisition of Global Foundries, an American company valued at $30 billion, the Wall Street Journal reported. In March, Pat Gelsinger, Intel's new boss, said the firm intends to compete with Taiwan-based manufacturers in the production of semiconductors for other companies. Facing a global chip shortage, he pledged $20 billion towards chipmaking in America. Facebook said it took down 200 accounts run by hackers in Iran that had been, quote, spearfishing Western military personnel and companies. The social media platform said that a group known as Tortoiseshell created fake profiles to make contact with American and European targets and tricked them into clicking links that would expose their devices to malware and thus enable spying. The European Court of Justice ruled that companies may ban employees from wearing hijab under certain conditions, including if the employer needs to present a, quote, neutral image. The cases were presented by two women in Germany who were suspended from work for their hijab. It is now up to German courts to rule on whether the suspensions were discriminatory. And fact of the day. Only 12% of office workers in Manhattan are back at their desks. And now here's today's agenda. All aboard. The Democrats' infrastructure package. This week, Chuck Schumer, the leader of the Democrats in the American Senate, announced that his party had agreed on an infrastructure plan worth $3.5 trillion. President Joe Biden hopes the proposal, paired with a separate bipartisan infrastructure bill agreed with Republicans, which is worth $1.2 trillion, will help to transform the American economy. The two proposals are to be turned into legislation. But negotiations will be difficult. To pass the bipartisan bill, Mr Biden must both keep progressive senators on side, who say it contains too little spending on efforts to fight climate change, as well as attract at least 10 Republicans. To pass the larger bill proposed by Democratic senators, he must placate moderates within his party, who bolt at an earlier proposal to spend $6 trillion. 
Mr Schumer wants to make progress before Congress shuts shop in August. This autumn is the last chance for an agreement before America's midterm election season commences. Then the rubber hits the road. Funding Frenzy The Fintech Investment Boom Financial technology firms used to be a niche part of the startup's boom. No more. Investors are now throwing money at the sector. Fintech firms attracted a record $34 billion in venture capital funding in the three months to the end of June. This blizzard of activity reflects demand from investors as digital disruption in finance takes off. The investment boom is focused on the biggest startups. Many are achieving multi-billion dollar valuations. Last week, Wise, a money transfer firm, listed in London at a valuation of nearly £8.8 billion, $12.2 billion. Institutional investors, such as BlackRock, are trying to invest in promising startups early before they go public to benefit from their growth, but not without risks. Some fintech firms may flop. Others may struggle to remain innovative when they get big. Though hefty price tags are not always justified, it is clear that fintechs will gobble up a growing chunk of the banking and payments industry. No silver bullet. China's carbon trading market. China's long-awaited carbon market is expected at last to start trading today. The emissions trading system, which will become the world's largest, was first announced in 2017, but missed its original launch date on June 30th. Initially, the market will cover some 2,225 power plants that use fossil fuels, which produce between one-third and one-half of the country's entire emissions. But it will not do much to aid the Chinese government's goal of reaching net-zero emissions by 2060. China has prioritised participation over the immediate reduction of emissions. Companies get large quotas to let them keep spewing out lots of carbon. Fines for breaching the rules are low. Carbon prices are likely to start at just about a tenth of Europe's. The Chinese government says that it intends to expand the market rapidly. For now, it will not change the country's status as the biggest polluter in the world. A socially distanced pilgrimage. Hajj during COVID-19. The world's 1.9 billion Muslims are asked to observe the ritual of visiting Mecca once in their lifetime. Doing so is considered a sacred duty. That means almost 30 million Muslims each year should go on the pilgrimage. This year, when Hajj begins on July 18th, just 60,000 will do so. For a second year running, Saudi Arabia has banned foreigners from visiting and curtailed footfall because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Tourism across the Middle East is down by 80%. Millions have lost their jobs. But that has not dimmed the ambition of Mohammed bin Salam, the Saudi crown prince. He recently announced the launch of a new national airline, Flynas, and he is spending billions of dollars on resorts along the Red Sea coast. He wants tourism and a new entertainment industry to haul the kingdom out of obscurantism. The longer the global closure, he believes, the more time the kingdom has to catch up. Footnotes The Future of Space Tourism Space was once the elusive preserve of governments. Soon, it could be a rich man's playground. This week, our Marjorie Dean intern asked what light Sir Richard Branson's jaunt above Earth's surface cast on the space economy. Drawing on data from Space Capital, a venture capital firm that tracks investment in the space industry, 
she found intriguing prospects for space tourism. The sector as a whole is growing fast. Christopher Carr, formerly of Duke University, argues that the industry's economic trajectory depends heavily on the development of new technology. Interest in space tourism goes in cycles. An early entrepreneur who financed a trip to space was Dennis Tito, an American millionaire in 2001. This article about his journey hints at the elusiveness of progress in the industry. For a blast from the past, check out the archived website of Sir Richard Space Tourism Venture, Virgin Galactic, from 2004. Jonathan McDowell, an astrophysicist at Harvard University, runs a blog on the space business. Jeff Faust, a journalist and aerospace analyst, edits the Space Review newsletter. Both provide cool-headed views on the industry. This essay by John Sheldon, a space policy expert on the current space race as a clash of civilizations, is also worth a read. A recent report by the China Aerospace Studies Institute, an American think tank, shows how worried some are by the rise of China as a space power. For a fictional take on billionaires in space, turn to the techno-thriller Genesis by Jeffrey Carr, our science and technology editor. Oliver Morton, science writer and The Economist's briefing editor, shares an affinity for space. His book, The Moon, A History for the Future, published in 2019, was listed as a science book of the year by the Times of London. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Ida B. Wells, who was born on this day in 1862. The way to right wrongs is to turn the light of truth upon them. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.